which is huge. I mean, it's like a man. It, it's big. Kane, son. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study. Not to bring back. But to wipe them out. That's the plan. You have my word on it. All right, I'm in. Let's rock! Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. Patrick Green. Harry Chicos. Maj. Welcome, guys. How are you doing? Doing well, Pretty doing good. well. We have a special guest tonight who is not new to us because we've been talking with him for forever, but is new to the show. And hey, before we get to our guest, we have a couple new patrons to get a shout out for. And we, we also have Maj on too, who hasn't been on a show in for fucking ever. Yeah, we we dragged Maj. We're Welcome, like, Maj. Here's the best <laughs> episode for you to come back yeah. on. <laughs> The alien resurrection. I know table. you were saving Magic, it up for Magic's me. Like, I'm going to come on these oh, episodes, yeah. the resurrection episodes. Yeah. Like sign yeah. me up. Similar experience. <laughs> hey, I'm speaking of signing up, because I just gave myself an actual transition. Mm, speaking of signing up, we did. That was, <laughs> that was really good. We, you could, it feels like we just got right back in the rhythm of things. We have legitimately a lot of new patrons. A special announcement is we hit our 100th active patron since the last time we recorded. And I think on the last episode, I invited somebody to try to hit that 100 mark, and we got one. We got a 100th patient, pa- patient, patron <laughs> whose name is... Patient Zero. <laughs> Andrew Dayish. So, Andrew, thank you so much for joining. And then we got more patrons. Thank you, after Andrew. That. We also got Nawan and Kevin Selinger. And so now we're up to 103 active patrons because somebody just re upped, which means we are in great shape and we are like blown away by that. And if you want to join those patrons, Jamie, how do you do that? You go to perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Also, I want to say, uh, as you're doing that, we hit. Uh, 500,000 downloads for yeah. Perfect Organism, which is a colossal feat. And, you know, this show is almost at its eight-year mark. Eight-year mark? Yeah, eight-year mark, February 19th, sort of the launch date. So over 100 patrons, 500,000 downloads. We've just rebranded. A lot's going on here. Pat uh, Perry keeps changing his background. <laughs> I'm trying to... God, I'm trying to get a good Alien Resurrection background, and it's not working, and... <laughs> Just, but, it's fine but congrats yes jamie this is amazing i felt like mic drop moment it's so great to just see the reach and the growth uh over the years especially with like you yourself and then patrick coming on and what this organization can i call it an organization now <laughs> i think you can call the it company. The, what the company company has <laughs> has just grown into it's really awesome and and just to uh, connect with so many people and like have like Giovanni here tonight to hang out with us and, and chat about um, alien resurrection of all, of all films. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, 
it's you're going to be forged uh, and fired. It's a beautiful thing. Yes. <laughs> so without further ado, Perry sort of introduced him to us. We want to intro <laughs> our one of our patrons and a listener of the show, Giovanni Mason. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you so much, Jamie. I really appreciate it. Thank you for so much for having me on board, guys. Uh, this is a dream come true. I'm not going to lie. Thank you. Of course, we are honored man. to have you here. Uh, go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, well, you know, it, as is customary, when we have somebody on the show for the first time, we like to ask for a little bit of a snapshot of what's your history with Alien? How'd you get into it? Uh, what's your kind of what's your story with Alien, Giovanni? Uh, where to start from? So I first watched the first Alien I actually ever watched was actually Alien Three or Alien Cube, however you want to call it, when I was about uh, five or six. Scared the living crap out of me, and uh, I kind of watched the Alien series out of order. So I started with three, then I watched one and two, and they were at different time frames of, of my life. But uh, it all started with Alien Three, and. I didn't know what to make of it. It just scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. And then as I got older, when I watched the first one, I was just, I was mesmerized. I was intrigued with it and it still scared me and it, and it intrigued me. And then since we're talking about Alien Resurrection tonight, I, Alien Resurrection was the very first uh, Alien movie I saw in theaters. And so uh, I think by that point, I was, I was a solidified Alien fan. Like I, I couldn't get enough of the series or the, or the creature. Um, and it just, it, it brought so many things into my life as far as like imagination and, um, and perspectives, you know, it was, it's an incredible uh, series and franchise and I'm really happy to be here tonight to talk about it. Thank you. Do you oh, remember a little about who you saw it with or like what the, you know, the feeling of coming out of the movie or things that like, cause I'm into that. It's just like, I feel like there's so much goes into like how you consume a movie, particularly in the theater. And for the first time, believe it or not, actually, I actually had a dream about alien resurrection. Like I, I, I was actually, I don't, I didn't watch any, I know I didn't watch any trailers. I didn't get any wind of it. And this was when I was younger, but I remember I was dreaming about a sequence that actually happened in the movie. I guess it's a spoiler alert, but it, it's when Joner uh, goes upside down and starts shooting at, at the alien. I don't know why I was dreaming that. And I, that, I don't think that was part of the trailer at any point, but I remember seeing this and I was like, I feel like there's an alien movie that's about to happen. And then I was in Arizona uh, with my dad at the time and when i watched it i was just excited i was excited for the fact that you know uh, I, I get to watch an alien movie on screen and i was just i was i was like a kid at christmas and it was literally actually christmas around that time and um i was just excited to watch it and i was just very happy that i get to get that i get to see something magical on screen and th there were so many things that, that i was just happy to see on screen and get to see sigourney weaver just uh, just the story unfold there were so many things that that were happening at the time but all i can really remember is i was just excited i was just fully excited and i was like a little kid and i mean i was a little kid um watching this incredible movie and when i left the theater i was just like i was ready to go see it again because it was just it was an action-packed adventure for me And uh, I should say to to the film's credit, maybe 
and also to Ron Perlman's credit, he he actually did that himself. John, actually, the genre bending over, you know, on the ladder thing was actually yeah. Ron Perlman He's doing his own stunts. He's in this movie. Yeah. Side note: I do love Ron Ron Perl. Per, oh my god. Perlman. Jonner's character, I love. I really did enjoy it. I I just watched Giovanni. I just rewatched Alien Resurrection Monday night, and his character is just like, if not the comedic relief, a little bit, but just just uh, yeah, great. great. I was really happy he didn't die in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty good. There are some performances in this movie I like. Like I mm-hmm. I've around on wincott a few years ago i i told you guys i don't know if you remember i was like ah, i hate wincott i hate his voice he's i'm supposed to think this guy's cool but i'm like he is cool i love his face and he's very like he's super charismatic and sigourney's pretty good didn't winona i just watched it and winona is like okay but um i like dan hedaya in this movie because he's kind of matching the kind of goofy energy he's perez the like the colonel or the whatever the the head honcho and um who who pulls the brain out of his head literally yeah. cross while well, he does that too. <laughs> yeah 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 yes yes that should be the the photo for this episode <laughs> yes. yes oh my god there's some yeah there's like some big swings at comedy and then also like i feel like some unintentional comedy there's some parts where it feels like you know Janae, i don't know if like if he how much he'd really how much he was up to the task of maybe like certain death scenes or like monster creature body horror scenes like of course there's great production design whatever but like there were just certain moments that struck me like there's a part where uh the newborn bites brad Dorif's head and then it, instead of it kind of can happening continuously maybe in one shot where it's like it's broken up in this way that's just very funny it, like you see him bite the head and then you see the crater for the head and then it cuts to uh ripley and then it cuts back to the alien just like glowering at her and it's just like this weird like kind of broken up like comedic thing of just like oh we'll do this in reaction shots instead of like this anyway i was just gonna say before we continue talking about this i think it's important that we note that this is Essentially, the 25-year anniversary of Alien Resurrection. It was released in 1997. 2022 was its 25th anniversary. So we're just kind of a little bit past that. It was released um, on Thanksgiving Day weekend in, in 1997. I remember I was working at a movie theater in downtown Chicago at the time. I'd seen the movie like seven times in the theater. I'd seen that tra- the trailers over and over and over. And uh, we really wanted to get together and find out if the movie doesn't age well. We've always sort of trashed it. Fandom sort of trashes it. We some of us think that there's some good spots in them. Some of us don't. Um, I think that there's one good scene in that movie, and that's it. Um, but I, I'm I'm on board with a lot of what people believe in terms of it's it's gorgeous to look at, wonderfully shot. Sigourney Weaver turns in a really great performance. I think that's it for me. That's about it. But there's other obviously other things in there that we can discuss. So that's kind of the setup for this episode. Um, as we kind of move move forward into. Uh, the next year. I want to throw this question out as we continue talking. It's just kind of structure this just a little bit. So we're not all over the place. Um, before you guys had seen this movie and maybe Giovanni, maybe this doesn't count or matter for you because you were a kid, but did you guys have any expectation about what you were going to see? And there were trailers out. Of course, the trailers were flashy and they were exciting. Did you, what did we think we were going to see before we saw it? Did anybody, any, any ideas? 
I mean, my my level of hype for this movie was the the most of any film in the history of filmmaking, because I was I was uh, eleven when the trailer came out for this thing, and I was like already an alien obsessive, and this was already at a phase in my life where I didn't know anybody else who was into it the way that I was. So for me, this was like, I mean, this was like cataclysmically important. This was like this was like the you know the the event of my young lifetime, and um, <clears throat> to get into it. I had to buy tickets for another movie that wasn't rated R so I could like sneak in. And it was the whole thing. I went opening night with my buddies to this movie theater that has since closed down. But I still like I have taken pilgrimages to this movie theater's former site, literally just to like relive that feeling of like this is where I was when I saw Alien Resurrection for the first time. And I have to say, because I was so little when this came out, it delivered like 100% for me. Like there was no... I was not disappointed in this film. And then the video game came out on PlayStation and I played the fuck out of that. And the toys came <laughs> out and I remember going to Toys R Us and I was buying these action figures like the Aqua Alien who's sitting behind me right now on the wall. Like this was this was amazing. This, this was everything that I wanted the Alien 3 experience to be for me as a child, which it wasn't because Alien 3 is not a movie that speaks to, to little kids very well. Um course now i feel completely differently about the whole thing but the one thing that i always say when i talk about resurrection is it is so inextricably linked to my nostalgia and to my early fan love for this franchise that i will always owe it that you know and it's one of the movies that as i've seen more over the years and i haven't seen it that many more times compared to the other films just because i don't like it that much i'm continually more aware of two things one that it's bad. Three things. Two, that it's experimentally audacious, which is interesting, although unsuccessful. And three, that I'm so glad it exists, if for no other reason than it gave me a chance to see an alien film in theaters as a kid when I really needed to see one. So, you know, it, it really delivered for me. I don't know about what everybody else felt the first mm. time they saw it. Yeah, Patrick, that's really awesome. And I always feel a connection with you because <clears throat> I feel like we've had similar childhoods a little bit when it comes to Alien and and uh, just the way we were, it, it was shown to us or, or we had seen it for the first time and things like that. And um, obviously, because we are probably the biggest uh, action figure collectible collectors out of the group. Nerds. Um, the nerd, <laughs> but I, uh, um, for me a little bit, I so I would have been seven or eight at the time when it came out in theaters, and then, um, it was for me the first sort of it was really a time in my life when my parents were like allowing me, I guess, to like watch rated R movies. I don't know why they were so like liberal on that, um, but I uh don't fault them by any means like it i obviously really enjoyed it and it allowed me to experience this film i i didn't get to go and see it in theaters but it was like the first film that i was able to like one of the like the first vhs films that i just played and and watched all the time because it was out of the other alien movies which i was aware of um it was the newest thing at the time and it, and it was easily available to get on VHS. I didn't have to like hunt it down at um, like Suncoast or um, like a Walmart or whatever, like ask my parents to like bring me to the, you know, it was just like easily accessible. And so I, um, it has a lot of my 
history with alien and i too that was like one of the first action figures i bought was the aqua alien i loved that thing it came with like the little tiny betty um (laughs) i don't know if you remember that but yeah right so you could like um anyway and i used to play with like i used to use my gi joes as like the marines and um i love the aqua alien because it had the webbed hands so you could like grab gi joes by the face and like kill them (laughs) you know so i just uh i loved it for that and i watched it a ton uh and what was great and and i like how you um just sort of like summed up the the three things that you've realized now since then but uh i was it it allowed me to appreciate i think the other films more growing up and being more of like a cinephile and learning more about film and things like that and and just like appreciating what that movie um maybe didn't always hit the mark on and what the other films did very greatly at like progressing the story the characters and things like that and and just like reveling in the horrifying like giger aspects of the alien of the creature itself um to where now i understand about alien resurrection a little bit more about just like you know the parts about it that are bad um there are definitely some parts about it i do enjoy uh for like the entertainment shock value and and things like that um and then you know quite frankly there were some things i thought and maybe i can touch on this later but just that like some things it it sort of built upon as far as like the company like the background that you don't really get in the other films as far as the company and like excuse me the way the world is and now that like Waylon Utani, they talk about like the, it not being really a thing anymore, and they're like the next, you know, military. It's just like what the extent that the company or these people are willing to go to capture and train and use the alien as some sort of weapon, like all those years later that Ripley has to like you know she probably wakes up thinking she's in hell but no she's actually alive again and still stuck in the same thing and and it's just um i i I guess like those are some things especially after watching it two nights ago that i found to um appreciate that i would have never caught you know when i was a kid so it just has a huge imprint in my um alien franchise uh journey as a fan When I think back, I feel like the timeline for me on when I saw which movie is has become a little muddy, but this was one of the first, and I watched it with my cousins. I think I told this story once, but it scared me to death. It was so sick and disturbing, and I feel like the weird sort of tonal mishmash of the movie also affected me as a kid and kind of disturbed me without me being able to put a finger on it back then, just because, yeah, it, it's kind of a... Uh, a messy movie it's sometimes it's like you don't know where your loyalties are to these characters whether you want them to live or not or you know sometimes things are funny and then they're horrifying and there is you know you got to give credit to the body horror in this movie and it did yeah it the the newborn really really deeply freaked me out as like a 12 year old and um and yeah it was early in the in the in the going of it but i mean 
since then I didn't, I, it's not a movie I revisited much before I kind of like my, my real kind of proper obsession with the series of movies like blossomed, uh, you know, whatever, however many years ago, like at, you know, at the end of my teens or after my teens, like when I came to revisit all of them, I, I put it on one day and I was like, Oh, this is the bad one. Right. And I, I didn't, I had no memory of what it was about. And then once I got kind of like, Oh, this is what they did. This is interesting. And we'll get into it. But like, I now just, um, I think maybe I watched it or part of it once since then that was about five years ago. And I just watched it, um, mere hours ago. And it's an interesting one. I feel like it's like it's a real signifier of how this series of movies, maybe more than any other, particularly at this high a profile and this big of a legacy, are so. And I don't mean this necessarily off off the bat in a bad way, but like un not unified, like in their in a look or a vision or like you know the all of that and it's just kind of like this interesting dispatch from like you know like what i was noticing this time the most like this is joss whedon of course um he who he um wrote comics writes comics i don't know if he still writes comics but he this movie to me is a comic book 100 it's it's colorful in a way that the the previous movies aren't it's everything's very heightened it's just kind of playing in the sandbox you can tell that he's like i i always wanted to see this what what about this this is something i've always thought about with alien what if it, what if you did this with it or you know all this stuff and it has these moments where that's really working for it and it feels like this crackerjack like oh my god ripley just got face hugged and now she's like thrashing underwater and there's literally a face hugger on her face and it's like that that like moments like that kind of got me and then the comic book aspect made me realize like i mean here's the thing i wrote a lot of notes as i was watching it the first thing i wrote the first note was a single word and it was french it's a very french movie i feel it's very like not as american or british as the others and it has like but to the reason i said that is because the comic book thing and the french thing i was like oh this is very kind of mobius and the, what you said perry about it the geagerness of it it's kind of interesting it's like they took this rust colored sort of industrial thing from alien 3 and then sort of parts of like maybe the engine room of the nostromo and that's kind of like where we are and the guns look kind of ridiculous and it's like the costumes remind me of mobius and i don't know it it as an as like an entry into these movies it is very interesting to me, but I kind of consume it like the prequels where I'm like, I like this on its own terms. It's not perfect, but it has a lot of stuff that's interesting. And I like that. It's like, it, it feels like it shouldn't have been made. This movie It feels like kind of, kind of nuts. So I remember watching all of them out of order by the time, by the time I finished watching the, like the last ones, I think it was aliens with James Cameron. I was hooked. Uh, I was hooked on the franchise and series. And so when I watched alien resurrection, when I was a kid, looking back and thinking back on it i was excited because it was just as uh patrick uh, mentioned it was action driven it was beautifully shot and it was it was an action adventure story that i wanted to see and so i was excited to watch what was about to unfold on screen and so and it delivered uh it delivered on the action it delivered on the suspense it didn't it didn't shock or terrify me it just delivered on all the aspects of a of an action movie for me and so i liked it completely uh, i was i was i was happy with it and now fast forward to uh watching in a couple 
a couple nights ago, um, I realized, you know, I, I liked this for what it was. It was an action movie, but as far as, uh, as far as bringing it in a whole for, for the entire franchise, I realized, oh, it has a lot of, it has a lot of gaps. It's missing a lot of things from, from what I enjoy from the alien series. I, I miss the, I miss the terrifying nature of, of, of the creatures, of the body horror of it. Um, it's just it's just missing a lot of like the center the centerpieces of what made Alien great, what made Aliens fantastic, and what Alien Three kind of did as far as like as the drama. So it was missing a lot of things for me. Um, now as I as I'm as I'm older, but as a kid, it was it delivered on all fronts as far as action and um, excitement and adrenaline and rush. Um, the, like all the action pieces uh, that were ha- that was happening and that happened on film. Uh, was incredible like visually it was it was stunning to me and so you couldn't you couldn't tell me that this wasn't an exciting movie at the time so i actually had some notes i actually did have a specific uh word uh when i watched this movie a couple nights ago and it was confusion there was this movie in the beginning when i was younger it excited me now uh, at this point in time it confuses me there's a lot of things that happen in the movie that just don't make sense to me logically um uh, it, it goes from like the storyline, the scientist, Ripley's behavior, um, the characters of the Betty. Th- there's just so many things about this movie that kind of confuse me and like make me uh, like, get me to ask like, what what is going on here? What what's what's what am I seeing? Like, what's the, what's the, what's the purpose of of the scientists behaving the way they are? Why are the soldiers not properly trained? And why is why is the containment failure of, of the aliens escaping happening? You know, you would think after 300 years trying to clone Ripley, um, people or the ship would be better prepared to like, you know, to encounter what, what, what would happen if things fail. And in fact, it's not. It's chaos ensues. And so, um, like I said, this movie does a lot of great things, but it fails to deliver as far as like what I expect from from a great alien movie. Um so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at there, and I'm pretty sure we can discuss more things along the way because I I made a bunch of notes about it. So I I think obviously I, I'm always sort of joking around. I don't like the movie. I hate the movie, or whatever. But I I would also say that no one knows this film like I do, in terms of like I can I can watch that movie and recite it line for line. That's how well I know this movie. Um, I was. Much like Patrick, much like you, Perry, I was so excited for this movie. It's the first time I got to see Ripley in the theater. I had been following the Alien series for quite a while as a teenager. Um, I'm waiting for an old joke from Patrick, but it's not coming. <laughs> um, but I was like, I I was also working at the movie theater, so I had like. At... Was this was this before the Civil War, or this was after? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Uh, so I was I was working at a movie theater, so I'd gotten like the teaser poster, um, which showed the alien's hand coming out of like the like looks like lightning or whatever, like and that was the teaser poster, and then I got uh the theatrical poster, and then I had like the big roll, like there was a big like the vinyl poster that rolled up and it was like it was like a huge version of the might have been the teaser, but it was ginormous. I got that, I brought that home. I was so excited for this movie. Again, as I've said many, many times before, I saw it seven times in the theater. I didn't hate it. I, I think I was trying to love it. Um, and But also, it was interesting hearing Maj talk about 
the look of the film is like, oh, it looks like it's the, uh, you know, the, what room from Alien? What room did you say? Like the engine room? Like the engine room from Alien and the look of Alien 3. But actually, it's none of those things. If I was a fan of Jean-Pierre Genet's films for a while, he had done Delicatessen. He had done City of Lost Children. Um, he had really made an, a name for himself uh, in French cinema, but making really avant-garde, um, funny, yet visually arresting films with Darius Kanji the mm-hmm. cinematographer so that look you're talking about that's that's jean-pierre Genet's look um Darius no, I agree. Been, yeah 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 the color I, I, and like the you see what i mean though the production design not necessarily no for exactly. sure for sure yeah yeah yeah. but it also you know there are there's a lot of things that we've seen from the alien series in resurrection but there's also a lot of jean-pierre Genet. Uh, i think it's it's kind of confusion giovanni was talking about and that kind of crazy nature of the film is all jean-pierre genet he was not a tonal fit for the for the film he just wasn't um there's a a moment at a screening i went to in 2019 where he was at the screening of of alien resurrection um and he talked and he said he watched a bunch of american films to see what big American directors did. And he made some decisions about alien resurrection and how he would cut the film based off of Michael Bay films and a bunch of other films. And when I heard that, I was kind of appalled. I was appalled at it. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, But all of that, notwithstanding, I was really, really excited for this film. And again, mostly to see Ripley back again because I you know she got me through my my teenage years I'd watched aliens every day after school as I've said ad nauseum on the show so I was in and I I think one so one of the major reasons why I was um looking forward to resurrection is to see Ripley again I I didn't know what Ripley this would be I mean all you had back then because we didn't have social media were advanced screenings of films. And sometimes those advanced screenings, people would say certain things to um, outlets like premier magazine or entertainment weekly or us us weekly used to be a movie magazine before it became us weekly. I don't even know if that magazine's around anymore. I think it's um, us weekly us weekly. Yeah. I think so. Whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't care. It's something. But I remember reading, actually, in uh, that Starlog magazine, I remember reading someone had leaked the f- uh, some dialogue from Resurrection, and that dialogue was the first thing you hear Ripley say. My mommy always said there were there were there were no monsters, no real ones, but there are. And I remember the fan community was just like, "Holy shit!" Now this is ninety seven, so the internet is very new. There isn't social media, but there are net user groups and so everyone's talking about what they've heard and that bit of dialogue comes across or comes through all the alt net the, the user group for the alien series and so at this point we're thinking oh shit what is this movie going to be and of course that that line is from aliens um so and and there's a, a piece in time magazine which i've been looking for this time magazine article for years and i haven't been able to find it i bought it and they talk about alien resurrection and how it's fox's um reset of the franchise and how they brought people into the sets they were so proud of it and this and that and this and that and you see this picture of sigourney weaver holding uh winona ryder uh in this very like in this kind of like very domineering position it was a great write up on the piece so i was really really excited so when i saw the film and i saw it uh many times it was with that excitement it i mean and i was so excited 
as I've said before, I wrote a 141-page screenplay by hand of a, a sequel to Alien Resurrection. And it's the first screenplay ever I ever wrote. It's around here somewhere. I wrote it when I was 21. Um, so there's a lot of love. I have a lot of love for the Alien series connected to Resurrection. I think as time has gone on, you just see it for what it is. You just see, as Giovanni was talking about, the gaps. You see the confusion. It doesn't really progress anything. You're again on this ship. They're running from point A to point B. Instead of mother, it's called father. It almost seemed like a parody. And the more I realized it felt like a parody, the angrier I got about it. So, But I also think that there are wonderful things that we can discuss. So that those are my kind of sentiments in terms of how I was approaching the film. Do you remember the last time you watched it? Oh, uh, probably about a year ago. Mm. I just looked it up. It did well. It made $161 million on a $75 million budget. Um, That's pretty good, I think. They were looking for aliens-level success. That's why you had the Marines on that ship. That's why you had Sigourney Weaver back as Ripley. That's the success that they were looking for, and they just didn't get it. And by Sunday, no one was coming to the theater to see that movie. Except for Jamie, Except for seeing me. it seven times. $30 million <laughs> of the global domestic, of the global gross was from Jamie seeing it. Um, yeah, you I know, I, I want to... for free because I work there. Oh, hey, Jamie, Alien Resurrection again? Okay. <laughs> Load it up. Um, so Xander in the chat has a couple things quickly I want to touch on. Um, mentioning how uh, when he saw the newborn as a kid, it uh, fell flat. I agree with that. I was even as, Even as a child, I was like, that looks like a fucking lasagna monster. Um, but he also says Resurrection felt like the first movie in the series that was all producer decisions. And I think that is really getting at something that I hope we can spend a little bit more time on tonight because it also goes to Giovanni's point about confusion. And I think it goes to the heart of what Alien Resurrection really was. So Alien 3, of course, is a is another case study in producers making too many decisions and eventually kind of steamrolling the vision of something. But Alien 3 was countered by David Fincher being a genius and being uniquely well-suited to make poetry out of this mishmash that they were working on and somehow salvaging that into a piece of art that, although it wasn't thought to be successful for a very long time, it still, but for most people, isn't. I think most of us can agree that there's a lot of art in that film, um, and some of us absolutely adore it. But Alien Resurrection was something where the producers were steering every single decision all along the way, and almost all of their decisions that they went with were not the decisions that they entered into the process with. Jamie has a something. I'm going to push back on you just a little bit, only because I know the history. So because Alien 3 had such a storied um, production and there was such producer interference in Alien 3, when they brought Jean-Pierre Genet on board, they essentially said to him, because he knew what Fincher had gone through, they kind of gave him, they didn't give him carte blanche, but they... They made things really easy. They said, hey, we want your ideas. We're, we're hiring you to make the movie that you want to make. So they they let him they let him watch a bunch of American movies and make decisions. They let him bring in his crew. They said, bring your crew from your other films. So they did. Caro, his um, Mark Caro, his production designer in all of his other films, was on Alien Resurrection in the beginning, and then he left. So it, there were a lot of producers involved, but they did not want a repeat of Alien 3. So they took big steps back. Um, uh, and narratively, I mean, yes, they, the decisions that they made were 
when they approached Joss Whedon to say, hey, we want you to bring Ripley back because they were they wanted to bring Ali- the alien IP back, but originally they weren't going to bring Ripley. And But then, I can't remember who, said, you can't make a, an alien film without Ripley. So then Joss Whedon went back to the drawing board for him. That would be like a little slate because <laughs> he sucks. Um, and he uh, brought Ripley back. And uh, and that's where the producers were in, in terms of the writing and what they were after. So then Joss Whedon turned in his script, and then, then that script was given to Jean-Pierre Genet. And Jean-Pierre Genet wrote things and added to that script. He They asked him what kind of opening he wanted. So they really were, I don't want to say hands-off, because that would not be the right, uh, That they weren't hands-off, but comparatively to Alien 3, they were hands-fucking-off. In terms of the the actual, once the shoot was running, the they, they were pretty hands off. But I, I do have to push back on your pushback and say that Jean-Pierre Genet was like the eighth choice that they had for this movie. So it wasn't just Danny Boyle, but Brian Singer was approached. David Cronenberg Oof. was approached. Peter Jackson ah. was approached. There were like 12 directors approached before Jean-Pierre Genet was even brought into this thing. And initially the movie was going to be about Newt coming back. And that was that was what they had a whole script that, that Joss Whedon was asked to write. And he wrote the treatment for it. And then they decided, let's have it be Ripley. Because Sigourney Weaver, before they offered her $11 million, was not interested whatsoever in doing this movie. So it was all of these, you know, train cars crashing into each other which I don't mean to, there's been a lot of trains derailing lately, so I don't mean to bring that up. But it was it was the context that this movie was happening in was a complete shit show where producers were just throwing money out at people and being like, can you do this, can you do this, can you do this? And it's true that 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 Janae brought some of his French crew with him. Of course, Darius Kanji, also Pito, who was the, the VFX supervisor. Um, they got Nigel Phelps, who was a legendary guy who had won an Academy Award for Batman, obviously. Um, you know, they they had a, an amazing crew assembled, but the crew was literally not speaking the same language. And I mean that literally, they weren't speaking the same language. In addition to that, though, they were speaking totally, completely different worlds. Like they, they, they were not in communication with each other adequately. And that confusion extends all the way to the way that the shoot was run, because you had many near-death experiences. And I mean that literally. Ron Perlman got knocked out underwater making this movie and was rescued by somebody else's air supply person. Uh, we had people who were taking bathroom breaks when there was accidents happening on set and there was nobody there to help. It was a complete shit show. And I think that so so you can say that the producers let Jean-Pierre Genet do what he wanted to do. But I think, honestly, they were at that point. They, they The movie was completely off the rails. What I do have to say is interesting, though, is I have a copy of the script in my shelf behind me. And it really is the script that the movie is it, like the actual script that Joss Whedon turned in is basically the same thing. There are some deviations. I One of the big ones being the newborn uh, at the end was, it was like this, this praying mantis monstrosity in the Joss Whedon script. But basically if you see the special edition, quote unquote, special edition of the movie, which is not very special, um, you will see basically what Joss Whedon wrote. So, yeah, so I, I do, Jamie, you have a point in that once the shoot was running, they were pretty hands off. But I think getting to the point where they were shooting, it was like just just producers just just going, yep, 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 go, 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 do it, but, 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 but making all these abrupt decisions that had no. I mean, Jean-Pierre Genet was chosen on the basis of delicatessen and children of uh, what was it? Children of City of Lost Children, City of Lost Children, <laughs> right? which are children of men. Um, which I've also seen, and I saw those as a kid after watching Resurrection and was like, what the fuck am I watching? But they're funny and they're very, very interesting. I mean, there's nothing in either of those films that would ever make me go, oh, that's somebody who should direct an alien movie. 
right? There's plenty of Danny Boyle things, Sunshine being one of them, right? Where I would say, oh, he would make a great alien film. David Cronenberg has always been one of the people I bring up in like my top five. I wish they could direct an alien movie. Peter Jackson would have done a great job, especially with some of his exploitation work in the 80s and 90s. But but fucking Jean-Pierre Genet, like what were they thinking? They thought he made cool looking movies, which with Darius Kanji. I do have to say before I get off, off of this, um, I think there's a lot of things in Alien Resurrection that speak to children well, which is unfortunate because in a lot of ways it's the least appropriate for children to watch of all of the Alien movies. But like Darius Kanji specifically is using incredibly bright colors and high contrast and there's swimming you know, alien sequences in it there. The music is, is for the most part, very kind of bombastic, sometimes brilliant, I think, but a lot of the time not. Um, it's just, and there's just humor everywhere and it's just ridiculous slapstick humor. And you know, there's lines about Santa Claus. It's like a complete shit show. There's Walmart references in it. Um, so a kid oh, watching the Walmart movie, line, it's just ridiculous. Right. But when you're a kid, you don't think about that. You just think, oh, I know what that is. Oh, this is cool. This is colorful. Wow, look at all these funny things blowing up. And I think that's why so many of us have, I think it's that coupled with the fact that most of us are in the millennial-ish range. And Except us, me. Except <laughs> for Jamie, who was our grandfather. And that most of us look at Resurrection as the first time we really got that experience in theaters. So that coupled with the fact that it looks like a movie made for children, because it really does. I think that's part of why it has this weird, enduring legacy with some of us. Yeah, I, I think, well, to play off of what you said, another factor in what was going on was by the time Sigourney Weaver signed up and she went on record and she went on, you know, she did interviews talking about the one scene that made her sign up, which was the clone room scene, which was, I think, the best scene in the film in terms of it feeling like alien it, uh, or feeling like it felt like the alien universe that we we're familiar with. It just was serious. And then, of course, right afterwards, Johnner throws a one-liner out there um, and it kind of ruins the scene since it's a chick thing or whatever. But that was a really interesting scene. But I, that's one thing when Sigourney talks about it or when she talked about it back then frustrated me because I thought, well, this is you should have chosen the script because it was the whole thing was good, not because this one scene was good. And she liked the idea that Ripley is kind of a mix of the alien and her prior self. And I think that the film does push the boundaries in terms of what, what we think we know and what they're kind of doing. There's the aliens are swimming. And of course there's more eggs. There's more of everything. It's like, it's like more of what we see in aliens, more of what we see in alien. It's got the big atmospheric set. It's quiet. There are moments of quiet. There are moments of, of, um, of 
meditation fleeting meditation um where where ripley's on the floor and she's kind of in her weird cocoon thing that whole sequence is weird too just doesn't belong but i think to a point that you were making patrick jean-pierre genet he you know he famously his biggest film of all time was amelie which i know patrick has seen i hope all the other you three have seen it. Amelie is a brilliant film. It is Jean-Pierre Genet firing on all cylinders, doing what he knows best, being funny and heartfelt uh, and poignant. But all of those things don't work in an alien film. And they weren't working at all in that film. But they hired Jean-Pierre Genet. Now, you can, you can, this can be disputed because I'm not the producer who hired him. I'm not the people who made that decision. But generally, the the sentiment was, they hired him based off his visuals. And that's what hurt the film. He didn't know what he was doing. He even says in interviews, why are you coming to me? We know why they came to him because everyone else said no. Uh, Danny Boyle was the person they came to before him. And he was he was really uh, intimidated by the level of special effects that the film needed. At least that's what he went on record saying. I don't really know if that's the case. Even during production of the film, there were some disagreements with Sigourney and Jean-Pierre Genet. She, she left the set. Um, she is fluent in French, um, so she speaks the language really well. So that wasn't an issue for her. But she was kind of the Vin Diesel of in that film. She was sort of in control, and she was calling the shots. So when she was on set, even though Jean-Pierre Genet was the director, she knew the alien films like no one else because it's her series, you know? So there was a lot, there's egos involved as well. It was just, he was just the wrong choice. But at this, I think you're right that Resurrection has this strange, enduring legacy. And I don't really know what that legacy is. It's interesting because it's like the thing Xander said about the, um, the producers being involved, producers' notes, um, that sparked, you know, this uh, war between you two is that uh, like the to me, the the overriding feeling of watching the movie this time was the hand of, yes, like the brilliant craftsmen, craftspeople who who worked on the movie and to create the visuals and all that stuff. But like Joss Whedon, it's like it's so that his hand is what I felt in this. Uh, well, you know, not literally, but his his guidance, you know, his voice is like so overriding that like one interesting like the idea that they come to him and say you need to bring ripley back that is to me the one very strong moment of feeling like so some sort of like cynical <laughs> strain of like well this was this is purely you know some sort of like you know money making uh thing like you know they were this was someone was told to do this and he came up with a sort of clever way to, to make it happen. And it reminds me of another uh, interesting, but flawed, uh, you know, forced fourth installment of a franchise, which is the matrix resurrection matrix resurrections, which has the same name. And it's like, that movie has sort of this underlying narrative of you know the you know being forced to 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 bring up this dead character and you know like we're doing it again y'all uh you know just like don't ask too many questions but we're gonna we're gonna take you there and like it, it, it's just i don't know the it, it sort of felt like Joss Whedon's alien ride. Like you're just like, you get in the cart and you're going from like room to room and this is going to happen. And now I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you this. And it, and, 
and he kind of drapes it over this go, go, go story or script or plotting that like, you know, it kind of feels like the Avengers where it's like, we got to do this. We got to do this. Now we got to have this beat and do that. And it's not all bad. It was, it's entertaining. It's just interesting because it's so different than of course, alien, which feels like a docudrama where you're just watching this unfold. And, you know, of course, aliens and alien three are, are different um, in tone from that and um in their pace and whatnot but it's it's just interesting where it's like i think because i'll say this the movie you get a lot of bang for your buck with this movie it shows you a lot of stuff there's a lot of incident in this movie which is nice because i feel like a lot of movies nowadays just drag and drag and this movie shows you a lot of things which i really appreciate and like it, it and it has a lot of moments that are just very you can feel the 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 late 90s of it all of the um there's there's actually a director there's actually a like um there there's moments for the audience in the theater like distinctly there are like that's why we have these gross out gags this movie is just like a popcorn experience which i i definitely like appreciate but like because of that I think that's why it suffers when you watch it alone, because you kind of you have to sacrifice these things of having like a coherent, you know, tonal sort of shifts or, um, you know, character consistency, uh, you know, all that stuff. You brought up a couple of great things, um, which which are really cool. And I just want to say before I forget, but uh, <clears throat> like the, you know, strictly popcorn movie, it's it's definitely not. uh it's definitely not the docudrama and and like the seriousness of what these people's sort of are thrown into a situation and we're watching how they need to react to survive to this thing that they've never experienced before in their life and they got tricked by the company and now they're here and now they're dying and they just wanted to go home and like see their kids again and like the the weight and like the horror and that just the nightmare behind that, what we get in Alien, which also translates to Aliens, even though it's a much more action-packed film. But we're watching these people go back because this colony of these families got lost and they're going back to try to save them or see what happened there. And they end up getting like trapped themselves there and need to fight their way out. Then in Alien 3, it happens again to Ripley, but she, but sort of bringing this to this prison of people who thought they were going to live and die old men in the, on this rock. And uh, they're thrown into this situation where they have to like try to actually be good people again and 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 fight for their right to live and and for whatever they believe in um is great right so like there's these really awesome uh just story arc throughout these films that's really humane and and genuine and real and um Speaking of it now, it's it's just so I, I think it's very much what people like to watch, too, because it is it is so real, like not to segue or not to talk about The Last of Us at any moment in this in this resurrection. But it's the first three films are very much like we're watching Joel and Ellie like 
they're these people who survived this horrific thing and they're trying to survive and they're trying to live. And we're watching a very real account of like, if it was you and I doing it right. Or it's stuck in this situation. Whereas like, I feel like what John, uh, Oh my God. Um, Josh Whedon and, um, John Perjane, sorry, uh, butcher that, uh, put in the alien resurrection is like, here's these people thrown into this situation and now we're going to make like a slapstick joke about it where they're like genres like joking around uh, and they're trying to get off the ship even though it's like a really horrific situation these people are in but it's like kind of funny to them and they're just like figuring it out and ripley's like i don't give a shit anymore like i've been That's here what, longer than you have and this is what i'm you saying I mean? this is what i'm saying it's <laughs> like he's it's like he got in the alien pool he wa- he went in the shallow end and he just started splashing his arms instead of like this elegant dive into the deep end that you know the first or second movie is where it's like he's just like i just want to do stuff like like Ripley leans down and rips that second mouth tongue out of an alien or um you know what if like Waylon Utani was bought by Walmart like how hilarious is that where it's just like I like my note for that was Walmart joke uh hyphen Whedon must be stopped cuz it's just it's like <laughs> it's kind of funny it's fine it's like a throw throwaway thing and I'm not like you you know you can't mess with my continuity like whatever it's like like I said, this is like a funny sort of like, uh, you know, entry, uh, you know, into the, you know, whatever. It's like a take. And um, but it, I don't know. It, it It's fu- it's interesting because this is the only alien movie that exists that feels like it was like it was made in that sort of I mean, it's that word we hear so often now fan service or whatever. It's like this. It's written by a fan. It's written by someone who loves the movies and has thought about the movies a lot in his own uh, kooky comic book writer way. And it does things that we see too much in movies now where it's um, callbacks to lines, um, you know, this, that like little nods, lots of nods and lots of things like that. Like, the other movies, you know, Cameron had a take he, he that he came up with in like a day after the meeting that he based on another thing. Fincher is an artist who was really would have died to live up to Alien, which is one of his favorite movies in the world. And then Ridley got it back for the prequels. And he's he's not you know what I mean? It's just interesting. This movie actually feels slightly weirdly contemporary in that way where it's like it feels like an IP movie, but it was made in 1997. You know what I mean? I, w- I want to say that uh, this is a popcorn movie. Everyone's, everyone's, everyone on here just touched on it and said the right thing. This is a popcorn movie, and it does an amazing job into into making us feel like we're actually going into the alien universe. And I want to say that one of the things this movie does does really well is actually responsible because of Nigel um, Nigel Phelps, I believe his name is, uh, who created the sets and 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 the production sets. Um, I literally. When I watched this, when I rewatched it, I remember just thinking like how incredible the sets look, how beautifully they're lit and how how I'm easily transported into the world in, in which these mm-hmm. characters and these actors are are being placed in. And for the lack of like like uh, good storytelling and the tones in, in which the, the the movie is is going through, I'm really just. I'm really just happy that I'm in the place where everyone's at. Like it, it doesn't matter at what point in the movie uh, I'm in, but I feel like I'm in this world. It, it, it successfully transports me and gets, 
and gets me into the into the location of, of what's going on and that that to me is, is a hallmark of a, of, a, of a great movie is that it, it takes you out of where you're at and allows you to allows you to be in the moment with with whoever's on screen and on camera um so yeah that's um that's one of the things i really enjoyed about this movie is that these these moments that are being captured on screen whether it's whether it's the bad lines or not the bad lines but the but the hokey jokes and the and the callback lines to you know other movies you know i i you could do away with them but it doesn't it doesn't take away from how well uh the production uh from how well the production was actually meant uh, to be set on screen and i think jean-pierre Genet did a great job into making sure that everyone who was great at their job did their job and just didn't didn't get in the way of it to that end i i would agree like the production value is amazing no question it is gorgeous yeah, it is it, one of the most beautiful alien films next to alien and prometheus in terms of its richness it's the lighting uh there were articles about the lighting specifically when the before the film had come out in terms of how they incorporated the lighting into the actual sets much like ridley did for the original alien um and the sets are very were huge it was the first alien film shot in la sigourney weaver did not want to leave um the states because she, think her baby she had had a baby who was very she had a little girl who was like four or five at the time she had just had that baby right before alien three so this is five years later so she's got a five-year-old so she didn't want to be in inconvenienced so they're like oh, sure let's shoot it in la so they shot it on their studios in la and uh it, they are immersive and gorgeous and beautiful and i don't think any of anyone disputes that like i don't uh it is beautiful to watch. And it's one of those things where I could watch it with the sound off much like Prometheus because it's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's like common wisdom. Now this is like a great looking movie. And I was like, is it going to live up? It is. Yeah. Sumptuous. And it's like, there's the way they, they do the coloring. And I'm not going to get into all the nerddom of how they do it with like the it's special process that Kanji used at the time to get very, it's very high ENT content. Or ENR, yeah. yeah. And um like j that look is very specific to like late 90s, early 2000s. Yes. It reminds me of the Matrix. Seven, it reminds shot me that way. seven yeah. Like yeah. and that that does something kind of and it, this is just purely personal, but like that was I was see the move the movies that were brand new at that time when I was a little kid, like they looked i remember it like it still conjures a feeling in me of like wow movies will never they, we've reached how good movies can look this is like it's so it, it is yeah it's pure art uh yeah it transports me just to look lastly uh i i just want to make a note of joss whedon because everyone was her heralding him when the movie before the movie came out everyone was doing the rounds the talk shows he did work on a toy story and they were like oh yeah joss whedon he writes Roman really well coming off Buffy, which I think in light of everything that's happened with him now, which he's been me to to kingdom come for his treatment of women. I think it's hilarious that they used Buffy, which was ridiculous. And maybe the women were marginal, but I would not base, I would not call someone a good writer based off of Buffy, the vampire slayer, um, the series he had written the movie, I believe. And then they made a show with Sarah Michelle Geller. He, uh, I, I do, number one, think that he was writing 
the script based off what producers had wanted. So he got some direction. He wrote a script. He got more direction. He wrote, rewrote it. He got more direction. He wrote it again. Um, but there are moments like there's moments of his in his script where Call is talking to Ripley when she first meets her, and Ripley says, "I can feel it behind my eyes." Mm. And Call's like, "Now they brought it out of you." And Ripley goes, "Not all the way out." There's some moments where there's some really fragments of good dialogue there, but they're fragments. Largely, he's window dressing with her as a character. Largely, Joss Whedon had no idea what to do with Ripley, none, and he he didn't write her with any sort of respect. He didn't. She didn't really have anything to do. She was essentially what she was characterized in the film, a meat, a kind of meat byproduct of the cloning process. So you just had this full grown woman running around kind of what, well, what am I doing here? And that's what she did. And that's what she said. And that's what poor writers do. They don't know what to do with characters. And on top of that, you're writing a version of one of the most iconic characters in history, not just women, but in history. And this is what you do with her. Nothing. Um, so I, I, I don't think, I think a large part of, the, the the failure of the film has less to do with um, Jean-Pierre Genet. There's a lot to do with him, but less to do and more to do with uh, Joss Whedon as a writer. He was just wrong for it. I do think it's, it's, it's almost unique as a product of its time though. And I think as we kind of come to a close here, as we talk about it 26 years after it's come out, almost just over 25 years after it's come out, I agree that it really reads as late 90s, early 2000s cinema, visually speaking, like Mash was saying. And I think there's something really beautiful about that. And I think it speaks to, like, for speaking personally, the movies that made me fall in love with cinema as an art form, like, you know, things like Fight Club, you know, like these movies that just had this very distinct look to them because they were really the apotheosis of what we were doing with film, right? This is like just on the precipice of digital becoming a huge thing it was at a time when um in camera effects were still really well funded and utilized and that's why we have for example what was at the time adi getting to just go bananas on the effects for this movie because we hadn't shifted so much of our resources towards digital yet but it was also when you have films like The Matrix, which came out. I mean, th there's there's been books written about 1999. Actually, there's a specific book written about 1999 as being the best year in the history of filmmaking. Um, and there's arguments to be made for that because that's when a movie like Fight Club came out, The Matrix came out. You have just like being John Malkovich, just like string, like movie after movie coming out that was a groundbreaking film. And Resurrection was right before we hit that wave, right before that wave crested. Um, but it was also, in a lot of ways, I think a blueprint setter for a lot of cinema to come because we have Joss Whedon emerging as this like creative force in this movie for the worst. Let me be clear. Like, I'm not saying this is a good thing, but I mean, I think what we, what we see happening in the wake of Alien Resurrection is what really happened in the wake of A Few Good Men and where Aaron Sorkin emerged as like, that's what movies should sound like now from a dialogue perspective. And Aaron Sorkin, in my opinion, also became a caricature of himself because people kept hiring to kind of just do the Aaron Sorkin thing. Likewise, Joss Whedon, who then went on to, of course, be the head writer for Avengers and, and really lay the template for what the MCU became, it became like, do the Joss Whedon thing. 
you know, give us serenity and firefly, which of course were what resurrection was supposed to be in his opinion, which is even more infuriating to me because I, I, I know a lot of people who like those. I, I can't even watch them. I think they're way too cheeky and corny and like, it's just not what I look for in entertainment. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody has their own things, but for, for me, like those never spoke to me, but you can see that in, even in alien resurrection, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to give us that, you know, and the crew of the Betty are basically the crew that we get. And in, in those things, it's just like a bunch of, of people making sex jokes to each other that feel really tasteless. And like they're written in 2002. Right. Um, but that's what people wanted. And, and Joss Whedon really became like the it guy for dialogue. So we see looking back on resurrection an interesting case study in what audiences or what studios thought audiences wanted as the 20th century came to a close and they wanted something postmodernistic in terms of its dialogue and its treatment of themes and tropes they wanted something that felt like it was kind of irreverent kind of gen xy and they wanted something commercial but they hadn't figured out how to make that yet right so then we come into the 2000s and the studios figure out, oh, this is how we make a commercial product that's going to really sell. This is how we're going to franchise. What's so cool, though, too, is that after Resurrection came out, like the Alien series fell with a thud. I mean, that was a dark time in terms of Alien. So when I was a kid and Resurrection came out, you know, I had that. I had the video game, of course, which came out a few years later. But like I'm saying before, people don't realize how great the Alien Resurrection PlayStation game is. You need to go find a copy on eBay or an emulator. It, it maybe it hasn't aged well. I don't know, but it's it's like Doom, and it's sort of like the like the uh, the AVP games that came out like in the Jaguar era. But it's like really, it's just fun. It's kind of scary. There's like jump scares in it. It's a really good game. Check it out. Uh, the show is not sponsored by the Alien Resurrection video game, although it could be. Hey. Uh, but like, I was really happy with what we had. Like I had my four movies, you know, I, and I, and I had my VHS box set, which the, in our text thread, we've been showing, you know, pictures of lately. I fucking loved it. I had my toys. I was all good to go. And I assumed really for years that that was it. Like I did not expect anything. And then when AVP was announced and when it came out, um, and it was bad, although it's aged actually kind of well, I think, but it was pretty bad. I was like, okay, that's like, we're definitely done. And then when Prometheus came out, I'm not even going to talk about, about Requiem. When Prometheus came out, we saw the endpoint of an argument that started in the immediate aftermath of Alien Resurrection because you had Fox, and well, at least you had Sigourney Weaver wanting to continue the Ripley story and bring it to its, to its conclusion, although it had already been concluded, so I don't know why she was doing that. And then you had Ridley Scott saying, no, we're going back to where this whole thing began. And it is just interesting to look at that thing play out then two decades later, almost in the events that led up to the creation of this podcast, when the Blomkamp film Alien 5 was announced, and we had the same argument getting regurgitated, not just by the studio and Ridley Scott and Neil Blomkamp and Sigourney Weaver pretty publicly, but also among fans. What did we want? You know, did we want Ellen Ripley back? Did we want to see where that story went or do we want something new and different? And that argument would not have been had in the way that it has been and continues to be had had Alien Resurrection not come out and been so wildly bizarre and divisive and unsuccessful, but in some ways successful. So I think Resurrection, it really is truly the black sheep of the entire franchise because it just sort of sits in this bizarre nexus that none of us know what to do with. And I think that's why when the, we, I mean, we knew that this was the 25th anniversary, at least last year was, 
of resurrection for a long time. Like, you know, we saw that coming on the calendar and, you know, had no plans to do anything. We did an alien resurrection series years ago. Um, and we're, we, we kind of were like, I think that's about the extent of the resurrection coverage we're doing. And that seemed to be echoed by everybody because I saw zero, I mean, zero recognition of resurrection's 25th anniversary. And that's a big anniversary for a movie, right? Like 25th, 50th, and 100th, you know, those are like, those are the big milestone anniversaries. We had tons of coverage about the Alien 330th anniversary, obviously. Um, you know, I didn't see much of that anywhere else either. But but those are big. Uh, 25 years is a major milestone for a, a piece of film history. And nobody talked about it. And why? Because it is by the people who made it disowned. Similar to Alien 3, Jean-Pierre Genet regretted it. He had already written Amelie before he made Resurrection. He went on to make Amelie shortly after it and was, you know, immediately put back in the upper echelon of like, he's a French art house guy, never coming back to Hollywood, doesn't need it because he's gifted. People love him. He makes art house movies with people who support his vision. He's good, right? So he moved on. Like Jean-Pierre Genet is not outside of this film, a part of alien history, you know? Um, and then you have Joss Whedon go on to success with this other shit. And it's just like this movie is just kind of sitting there adrift, like a like a vessel in space. And it is so hard to know what to do with it. And it, 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 it also kind of reflects how, you know, I, I drew a comparison from this movie to some of the movies of today, but one thing it, it doesn't do is set up the next four alien movies and it, the, everything but the kitchen sink aspect of this movie makes it feel like it was intended to be the last alien movie where it's just like, let's just, let's just do it all. And we won't really leave it open for a sequel. I have no idea what a sequel to this movie would be. I found that interesting watching it because like, if it was a huge hit, what would they have done? Well, I will say again, the time magazine piece that came out before the film, they were talking about a sequel to this movie before the movie even came out. That's how excited the executives and the producers on this film were. This was a, this was the restart to a very, at that point, storied tumultuous franchise. They wanted they wanted another aliens. That's why they had that script rewritten so many times. That's why they had, you know, even before Joss Whedon came in, they had other people writing versions of the script. They had, that's why they had other people writing versions of Alien Three. They wanted another aliens, and I think the what studios Fox at that time. And I don't know what Disney's doing. I guess we'll see when Fetty's film comes out, but what you cannot do with these, I, I don't think with any film, but specifically with alien is make it through committee. This isn't, these are, these are not stories you tell through committee. Mm -hmm. These aren't stories that you have producers sit in, sit in in a round table and throw out their ideas based off of moments that they love in a movie that they don't understand, but they understand the money that it made. Cause that's what happens. This made money there. They talk about Marines a lot, put Marines in there. I mean, that's essentially what happens. These movies are made through committee. And I think the only way this saga continues is if 
the executives and the producers and the people in control of Disney say, you know what? We want to trust the auteurs. That's why James Cameron was so successful. That's why Ridley Scott was so successful. They trusted them, even though there were some issues with them as well during while they were shooting and some uh, issues from certain producers here and there. They weren't the kind of issues that they were experiencing that David Fincher was experiencing on Alien 3 or that Jean-Pierre Genet experienced or, and Joss Whedon experienced before everything really ramped up. Um, so I, this, you know, a friend of mine who works in the business said to me, he said that the Alien IP is a very, very special IP and he gets it. He, he, he just gets it. It is special. And in order to make it successful, you really, you have to find someone who can understand it intrinsically and then tell a story. And I think that's really, really impossible. And I think Alien Resurrection is evidence, evidence of how a studio tells a story. Like, I think you were saying, Patrick, like, like almost like it, it's it's very MCU or maybe DCU um, where they like, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's connect this. Let's connect that. And it didn't work. And it didn't work because that's, that's not how you tell those stories. But uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating to talk about and it always will be. I'm sure we'll eventually talk about it again. Um, so it, it's certainly been fun to discuss it all with you guys tonight. Mm-hmm. A great point to end on too. Definitely is. Uh, I think we got to come back for the 50 year anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be dead. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> I might be. Um, Giovanni, thank you for coming on. I don't know if there's anything else that you want to add. We, we should definitely wrap this up though. Uh, well, I definitely want to say one of the things that, about this movie that it also does well. And I want to thank ADI for doing this. It gave a tremendous respect uh, to the creature design and, and effects. Um, I don't, I can't think of a, besides uh, alien and aliens where, a little bit of uh, Alien Three, not so much, but I think I think Alien Resurrection. One of the other great things it did is that it brought great life uh, to the creature effects. Uh, I, I really can't tell, you know, that it's that it's a fake, uh, that it's a prop. Like it, it's it, it it gives a an incredible performance um, on screen, and and I agree. Like we need we need a great story. Uh, we can't just have we can't just have good sets. We can't just have great feature designs. We can't just have these standalone things that make a movie great. We need a story. We need characters. We need we need to be we need to be driven into the movie and and be encapsulated by either a specific character or a set of characters that move us forward uh, in the future. So I'm hoping that Fede Alvarez could actually deliver us, you know, not just a great uh, movie but a great story. Um, because that's what's missing most in the in this franchise. Well said. Amen. Is yeah. well said. And as of two weeks ago, he's working on it officially. So Yeah. So exciting. Exciting time. Yeah, it's coming. Woo. Crazy. <laughs> Thanks all for coming on. Thanks for the discussion. Thank Thanks, you. everybody. Appreciate you our patrons. To find out more information about Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please go to www.perfectorganism.com. If you would like to support the show, please go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.